This episode is brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America, the smart choice for ID implementations. Put citizens in control with Get Mobile ID, fully ISO compliant 18013-5, and surpasses AMVA guidelines. Learn more at getgroupna.com. Welcome to AmvaCast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the AMVA community. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the AmvaCast, everyone. This week, I am pleased to talk to this year's winner for AMVA's Lifetime Achievement in Highway Safety in a Law Enforcement category, Major Matthew Cox of the Delaware State Police. Welcome. Thank you very much. Uh, so let's start with with the award. Um, how'd you find out you were getting it, and were you surprised? What was the reaction? I was completely surprised. So it was actually the afternoon of a walkout for one of our lieutenants. Um, I'm in the state police pipes and drums, so I had been warming up with the band, and we're pretty close to um, stepping off and, and playing as he exits the building. And I went back inside uh, for a moment, and my phone rang, and I saw it was a transfer from our headquarters complex. I'm like, well, they know I'm busy. Why are they calling me? <laughs> and uh, so I picked up the phone, and it was Ann on the other end of the line. And mm-hmm. it was a little bit, you know, uh, discombobulating sure. for a moment, because why is she you know, from headquarters? Um, but then, uh, you know, once she told me that I got the award, I understood the reasons that the lieutenant colonel was asking me all the questions that he'd been asking me about my career and, and things that I'd sat on and things that I had done. So yeah, it became clear then. That's cool. So did not expect part of that answer to be about pipes and drums. So I, got, I have to detour there for, <laughs> for a second. Play the pipes or play the drums? Uh, bagpipes. Wow. Yes. yes. I started about seven years ago. Um, I, I've loved the bagpipes. A small part of me is Scottish. Um, but I just never got involved because, you know, two kids, they're both close together. So all the school activities, you know, and the volunteer stuff, you know, there were many nights where my wife and I were going in two different directions with two different kids every night of the week. So I just never really took it up until they went off to college. And uh, at that point, I realized I just I wanted to do it. And I'm glad that I did. It's a really wow. great group to be a part of. And the mission of that of the band is, is really good. That's neat. Now, yeah. I know, you know, one of the things that, that you've recently shared, and I'm you know, almost starting at the end, we'll work our way back, but you're going to be retiring soon yes and the reason why I ask about the retirement is do we do you know how and where you're going to be able to still play the bagpipes well actually the, the only thing that you can continue to perform with or to be a part of the Delaware State Police after retirement other than retirement um, groups is uh, you can remain a member of the pipes and drums Very so cool. I, so that's a really nice thing in that you know I'll still remain connected being able to show up to things and yeah. as much as my next job, whatever that is, you know, will allow. Right. Yeah. That's really neat. So you're retiring in just about a little over a month. Yes. But let's uh, let's rewind it back because this is an award of a lifetime achievement, <laughs> right. uh, which is really career achievement. I don't know that you know birth through you know eighteen or you know had, had much to do with it, do with it. But but let's start there. Where are you originally from? Are you a native Delawarean? Uh, yes, I was born in Delaware, but um, my father was a teacher and he got a job with uh, Cecil County, Maryland public schools for a short period of time. So we moved into Maryland, and then shortly after we arrived back in Maryland, he ended up getting a job back in Delaware with another school district, uh, New Christina School District, but we stayed living in Maryland. So I've always oh, considered myself a, a native Delawarean. All my family's here. I was born here, spent the first eight years of my life in Delaware. So uh, yes, I am a native Delawarean. And so you, you grow up, um, you grow up more in Maryland, but but you know going back and forth. I yes, it's very very close, it's very really, close to all my family. Very mixed community. Yes. Um, and then uh, get out of high school in 
Maryland. Yes, Elkton, Maryland. Maryland. Yes, Elkton High. And then it takes you where? To Salisbury University down on the eastern shore of Maryland. Yeah. yeah. And you study? Biology. Biology. <laughs> yes, I did not take the normal path into law enforcement. So yet. it wasn't necessarily on your radar at that time. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. No, I, we, you know, my family, my parents had two friends that were in law enforcement. One was in the Newcastle County Delaware Police, and the other was a Delaware State Trooper. But um, even though I saw them maybe once or twice a year, no, it's not anything that really had entered my mind until my later years of college. You yeah. thought biology was going to take you in the direction of being a scientist, being a teacher? Uh, no, probably more lab work. Right. Yeah, that's what I had in my mind, you know, when I was uh, going through my education. It was a, the plant side of biology more than the animals. Okay. Um, yeah. So you ended up with a degree in biology? Or I did, you, yes. Okay. I have a bachelor in biology and a minor in chemistry. You know, my summer wow. jobs were working for uh, the United States Department of Agriculture Insect Lab on the University of Delaware property, um, you know, raising aphids to feed the ladybugs so that their um, larvae could be used to study the parasitic wasps to fight the, um, um, not lanternfly, the gypsy moth, which was a huge problem, you know, back in the, in the 80s. So, yeah, that was where my wow. college path was taking me before I went into law enforcement. Yeah. Okay, so you, you get out with this degree, and did you, did you work much in that field or right away? No, I, I went straight into law enforcement from, from college. So when I was a junior, I became a resident assistant in a dorm. Okay. Yeah. And it was there that I began to have, you know, uh, relationships and working with uh, the um, Salisbury University Police. Mm -hmm. And so just in talking to them, that's kind of what kind of piqued my interest is hmm, maybe this is something I might want to do. I mean, yeah. I enjoyed my major, don't get me wrong, and I enjoyed my jobs, but there was a part of me that was like, do I really want to do lab work? Yeah. So I wasn't quite sure. So yeah, that uh, being a resident assistant, and I was on the four and a half year plan. So that extra semester mm -hmm. I took at the after my uh, senior year, I couldn't be a uh, resident assistant, but I did work for campus police as a you know public safety person, yeah, escorting yeah. students and things like that. Um, and so just that extra exposure, I you know decided to apply to the state police. I should also qualify that um, I was dating then my girlfriend, Mindy, um, and her father was a Delaware State Trooper, which also kind of keyed into, you know, because I, again, I had exposure to Newcastle County Police, I had exposure to Delaware State Police, and, you know, being that uh, her father was a State Trooper, I had more conversations with him about it. So, yeah. I'm going to take a wild guess, and we'll edit it out if I'm wrong, <laughs> but since you're naming a then-girlfriend by name, that then-girlfriend is probably your Correct. wife. Correct, of, okay. of, of uh, almost 31 years. Wow, yes. congratulations. So, you were, you were marrying into to the business, your father-in-law. Yes, was... but that was not intentional. No, no, no. <laughs> In no. fact, he still chides me because I did not tell him I was applying to the state police. I wanted to do it on my own, sure. so I, I did the whole application process. And he was in the same position that I am now when he oh, retired. He was major wow. in charge of Newcastle County, so you know they have a staff meeting to look at all the applicants for the next academy class. So he walks in and says, "Well, Terry, you know this yeah. guy, you know Matthew Cox." He's like, "What?" what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't tell him I was applying. That's amazing. Yeah. So. Uh, what what, what year is this that you uh, are, are you 1980. Applying? 1980. Yeah, I entered so the academy January 26th of 19, 1990. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so uh, the academy in 1990. Yes. You said, okay. Yes. All right. So you go and do that. Your first assignment then becomes? Uh, patrol at Troop 6, which is in Newcastle County. Okay. Yeah. And at what point do you start? Is it early on you start feeling this connection with highway safety or is it at that point it's a job it's a path it's a career you know when does it start to turn into okay there's there's something more here that you know I'm passionate about. Right. Well, you know, Delaware State Police, we it's not just highway patrol, especially right. up north. You know, we you handle businesses and robberies, burglaries, all the way to traffic crashes. So, you know, 
when you're on patrol at a patrol troop, you're doing a little bit of everything. But um, I did find that I, you know, really did enjoy the traffic side of it. You know, I based on my degree, I am science oriented. Mm -hmm. And I was drawn early on to um, the work that our then called the Fatal Accident Investigation and Reconstruction Unit did, mm. um, you know, reconstructing car crashes. So around about um, year seven or so, there was an opening in that unit, and I applied, did not get in. Um, the person that they selected over me uh, lasted about a year, and they decided they didn't want to do it anymore, so I applied mm. again and got passed over again. And then that person ended up deciding they wanted to, they wanted to retire early after about a year. So the third try... I did get into what is now called the collision reconstruction unit, investigating fatal mm -hmm. and serious car crashes. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, I'd say maybe around year five or six is when I started yeah. really feeling like that was the path that I wanted to go and kept on going ever since. Because up to then, like you said, it's it's the state police. It's not, it's not I don't want to say just highway patrol, it's the wrong words, but it's a it's a broader portfolio in addition to traffic. Yeah, safety. so, you know, up north, um, you know, it's our most densely populated county, Newcastle County, of our three counties in Delaware. Um, and so, you know, our much of what the patrol troops do is mostly commercially based. We do have some residences um, that fall into our area of responsibility, but most of it in Newcastle County does fall to the Newcastle County mm -hmm. Police based upon our jurisdictional agreement. But down in our southern two counties, Kent and Sussex, much more rural, and those troops do you know, handle yeah. housing developments and apartment complexes and all that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, up north we're much more commercially based. So you'll be handling car crashes, you'll be handling criminal complaints, yeah. and then occasionally you do get at, you know, residential complaints with a few houses that do fall into our area. So with the new role then on uh, collision recreation, I assume that also sort of takes you off the road. It does, yes. Yeah, yeah. you're not on patrol anymore. You're, you're dedicated to that job. And, you know, when I got into the unit, it, it was a very busy um, bunch of years. In fact, uh, the year I came, went in, 1990, it... Uh, when I came into the unit, every single person in the unit, there's four people in the unit, they were all in double digit in the holes in terms of cases that they had mm -hmm. sitting lined up on their desk. Uh, it was a particular harrowing year too because um, you know, the one person decided they wanted to leave early. Um, another person was in um, the military reserve and so he had an extra long, like a one month long deployment. Um, the sergeant had recently retired, new one came in and just that sort of uh, confluence of events led to sometimes only one person being in the unit for multiple mm. weeks in a row. Mm. And so when I came in, you know, they were, everything was coming my way. I hadn't been to school yet, hadn't been to any of the classes. It was a lot of on-the-job training, but uh, it was like drinking from a fire hose, but yeah. it was a lot of fun. But that's fun, you know, I mean, it is dealing with fatal crashes, but, sure. you know, it, it definitely isn't, for those other recons that might actually be listening to the podcast, um, <laughs> you know, it is, it is an exciting thing to, and an interesting thing when you're into that math and the science of it to go out and figure out how this happened for, you know, the victims. Yeah. And at that time, you know, and I'm sure you know, as you've now evolved through your career and it's still a piece of your portfolio, but you're not living it day in and day out. Uh, the technology that has changed on what that team can use today versus the tools you had then. Oh, it sure has. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, to some degree, it, it's the same technology, but it's just come a long way. So when I came in, um, you know, we had been using total stations to shoot scenes for a few years. Um, but as the years progressed, you know, they went from, you know, being large bulky machines to being more streamlined. They can track your movements. So only one person needs to move around and hold the pole and no one needs to be sighted 
rotating through the transit. You just it follows you. And now, of course, you know we're progressing to 3D scanners and now mm. drones that yeah. uh, you know can map it from the air. That's and right. they do have their limitations. It's not a magic bullet, but um, it's definitely very useful. Well, it's tools. another tool in the toolbox. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Have you flown any of these drones? No, I have not. Yeah. I have not. No. Does Delaware have, have them? Or are they using we them? are just, we're finally getting into it. We spent a long time getting our policy nailed down to something that, you know, the advocacy groups and the attorney general's uh, office were all on board with. So, yeah, we're getting them. We're moving into that now. So how long do you spend in the uh, in the collision unit? I spent 10 years there. 10 years there. Okay. Yes. And then uh, from there, I... I Eventually, you know, I passed up some promotional processes, and eventually I decided, you know, that um, while I didn't feel like I was getting burned out, you know, I'd been in there, I was on patrol for 10 years, now I've been in the the unit, collision reconstruction unit for 10 years, so I'm 20 years into my career, and it's like, you know, it's time to start, you know, considering promotion. Mm -hmm. I kind of left out that I did uh, test for promotion right Mm -hmm. before I did get selected for the collision reconstruction unit, so I went into the unit as a corporal. Um, but then one year in, I got promoted to sergeant, and I remained in the unit. So I was in charge of the unit for nine of the ten years. You said you, as you stayed there for nine of the ten years in charge of the unit, you passed up other opportunities because it was outside of this subject area? Um, well, so, you know, with us, um, every two years, there's a promotional process. Gotcha. So, you know, the first couple of, of uh, promotional processes that came along, I was, you know, still really enjoying the job, gotcha. wasn't ready to leave. Mm-hmm. Because once you get promoted, you know, I was a sergeant already. So if I got promoted to lieutenant, I knew I was coming out of the unit. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I passed up uh, several processes. And then round about the ninth year I was in the unit, a process came up. And, you know, I realized it was time to start at least, you know, throwing my hat into the ring again. And I did well in that process. And I got promoted to lieutenant after the 10th year. Yeah. So 10 years? Get, you get promoted to lieutenant, lieutenant, yep. but in doing the uh, well, I was the tra- I was the traffic lieutenant for troop two, so okay. it was the same troop where the unit was based. So I stayed in the same troop, but I came out of the unit, and now I was in charge of all of the traffic operations at that patrol troop. Okay, and so uh, at what point now? Um, we talk a lot about in law enforcement, in particular, a lot of conversation about follow the data have your enforcement strategies to reduce crashes, save lives. Where does your career start to shift from that traffic collision recreation after the fact right. to the preventative enforcement nature? When I got promoted to lieutenant. Yeah. Yeah, I, so, I was hoping so. Yeah, That's why I was right, asking the question exactly. now. <laughs> no, right. So, yes, in that role, you know, you're responsible for sort of overseeing those traffic operations, you know, the reviewing the crashes to make sure that they're done properly. Um, And, you know, all the topics of conversation today, you know, the the talk that you moderated here at the AIC um, with uh, the Office of Highway Safety and DMVs and the interconnectivity there, um, you know, I sat in on some of those um, uh, records. I'm I'm blanking on the acronym now, but we just said it in the... The the, The traffic record management. Yes, right, traffic records management. So I sat in on some of those meetings, and, you know, you kind of see where, um, you know, you've... We're not a we're a big agency, but not nearly as as big as many. And you know, when you've got that many people doing crash reports, you have a little bit of garbage in, garbage out. You know, you got to make sure that that data is right. And um, you know, so I was the traffic lieutenant at Troop Two for four years. And at that role, you're worried more about you know the you've got the people directly under your command that you've got to manage and make sure that the information that they're putting into a crash report is correct, that, you know, they're going to the proper places to do traffic enforcement where the crashes are actually happening Mm -hmm. to affect safety in those areas that, you know, they're charging people with the appropriate charges, both in the accidents and also for the things that they stop them for. Um, You know, for example, if it's a car crash and someone gets rear-ended, you know, it's very easy to talk to the people 
get a basic statement, and then just write a ticket, say, if, to the person who caused the crash for inattentive driving, or for right. careless driving, rather, sure. or something like inattentive driving. But, you know, if you talk to them just a little bit more, or to the witnesses, or to the other driver, you might be able to dial it down if they actually were following too close, something along those lines. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's more appropriate, you know, you might have a crash area where you've got a lot of crashes, but if they all just say careless or inattentive driving, which is a very catch-all charge, it doesn't really dial into what the actual problems are. So it doesn't help us. It doesn't help DelDOT, Delaware Department of Transportation, maybe think about what changes might be need to make to the road geometry or the signage. Mm -hmm. um, so while we're doing our job, are we doing it as specifically as we should to get the data that we need to be able to move forward and, and solve what problems might be. And was that, you know, were you seeing, was that a big thing you had to clean up in terms of how troopers were doing these reports? Yes, a little bit. In? It's, it's yeah. mostly just education. Some of them yeah. don't really understand the importance of some of the blocks. They're just sure. running through on the computer. You know, they don't really understand right. the, the ramifications. They don't realize why they're being asked to fill in that information. <clears throat> they don't know that it's data that we're asking for, that Office of Highway Safety is asking for, the federal government is mm -hmm. asking for. Um, to help them solve problems. And you do have a little bit of, you know, um, just making sure that people are, you know, for example, I looked at the data to how we were writing tickets, and I found that we were writing more tickets for administrative-type violations than we were for moving violations. Mm -hmm. And while many of the, those violations were all valid, um, you know, were we really dialing into the safety aspects, you know, the moving violations that would affect, you know, how people um, – we're able to drive down the road yeah. safely. So, you know, it took some a little bit of massaging there to get people kind of turn their mentality sure. around as well. So if I'm tracking right, this is the early 2000s. Yes. Okay. Uh, as you're switching to this preventative strategy nature, what are, what are the safety challenges in Delaware at that, at that time? Um, well, our, our fatal crash rates were still high, but there were very few times that, you know, you could look at where fatal crashes were occurring. And it was like, oh, this road is a particular problem. It was just, you look at the map and it's just like, you know, a shotgun hit it, you know, it's just dots. There was no high, no. was that like, oh, this is the high prior No, high there, I mean, from time to time, you would have, you know, a couple in a particular area, but they might have totally disparate causes, you yeah. know, so it's, um, it was really, I would say, you know, as far as it was just over our overall traffic fatality rate. And then each troop had their own problem area, which really remain the same problems areas to this day. You know, it's just that some nature of some roads, um, just with the design of them, the space that DelDOT has to, to build, and the way they can build the road, there's just not a whole lot yeah. you can do once things grow and develop around it. And, you know, so you're, I imagine you're it's, a, it's impairment, it's speeding, Correct. it's off the road, yes. you, know, with the, you know, where the infrastructure doesn't allow any room for error. Yes, you know, that, yep. and then you've got your high volume areas where you just get the rush hour chain reaction, you know, yeah. Bumper to bumper kind of stuff. Well, and then, you know, uh, irrelevant to which part of your career that that is, you know, I think uh, those of us who live in, in this part of the country, um, you know, have that love-hate relationship for, you know, I-95 through, through Delaware. Yes. So how much of that is a is a, a challenge? Is it proportional? Is it disproportional? How much does that sit? It well, has been curious in the in the eyes of DSP. Yeah, it, it's, well, we have a very small section of interstate. Right. So, but it is a problem. I mean, it's a choke point. Um, DelDOT has done the best they can trying to alleviate some of the issues and putting in flyover ramps to bring people, you know, that are, say, going to Wilmington on one side of the roadway and people that are going to New Jersey on the other side of the roadway, as opposed to years ago where, you know, they were just sort of mixing together in this yes. mosh pit of cars trying to go from one side of the highway to the other. But yeah. the reality is, is that there are so many people coming through from so many areas to funnel through Delaware and then expand back out on the other side to go right. to points north or south that it still backs up 
you know, between the locals at rush hour and the people traveling through on holiday, um, it still is a problem area, yeah. without a doubt. All right, so you're, you're, you're there after the, you did 10 years, promoted into this role. How long do you uh, I'm, stay I'm a lieutenant at Troop 2 and the traffic lieutenant for four years. Okay. And then I get moved down to our headquarters traffic section, still as a lieutenant. So now I'm in the organization based at headquarters that sort of is an umbrella over all the traffic operations statewide. Okay. And while, you know, that unit doesn't really dive into the, you know, micromanage how the troops are doing their job, that is more sort of be more of an overall look as the Delaware picture, what common problems are there between, you know, the troops that, you know, these troops are all having the same sorts of violations that are causing their crashes, Mm -hmm. setting up initiatives to address those issues, um, but also to represent the division um, in all of the working groups and committees that exist in the state to address oh, you know, traffic so now, safety. So now you're starting the, the you know strategic highway safety planning, yes, all of those kind of conversations are starting to hit your radar. Absolutely, yes. Very close relationship with the Office of Highway Safety. They fund a ton mm-hmm. of extra duty jobs that um, go out and do targeted enforcement on the mm-hmm. problems that are affecting the whole state. Um, so they'll send money, you know, to do a job to do overtime jobs, say, to these various troops, they will, they look at the data as well, and they identify, okay, these areas of the state are having these problems. So they'll give money to these various troops or these various municipalities to address, you know, motorcycles or DUIs, wherever, whatever hot spots are flaring up. Mm-hmm. So they're also very focused on the data, and that, you know, makes for a very close relationship. Now, you mentioned that, you know, it's now statewide as opposed to local, but let's, you know, let's be honest, it's Delaware. Right? Is you? Ha- I mean, it's not a very large state, as no, everybody it is not. knows. Yep. Um, but even in a state of small size, you still see regional differences. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um. So again, Newcastle County is a very populous county, very uh, commercialized, and you just have a lot of traffic volume, and you know, there's problems associated with that. And then the rural two counties, you know, you have a lot more of the fatals that where people are just, you know, if you leave the road, you're hitting yeah. the tree. You see know, more of the of single car crashes in the, well, in the rural it, part. Well, I don't know if I would accurately quote the stats on that recently, but yes, it does seem like in the, you know, the more rural areas, you get a lot more of the single car crashes, but believe me, there's some pretty pretty brutal multi-car crashes down there too. And I say that, you know, Newcastle County is the most populous county and it is. However, Sussex County, where our beaches are, is developing like a weed. I mean, just houses and developments just cropping up all over the place, more and more people coming and staying. Um, So there's no off season at our beaches anymore. It's a lot, a lot more population down there. But at this time where you're, you know, doing that role, it was probably more seasonal where it was the, the yeah it was it was comes. starting to migrate at that yeah, point yeah, yeah there had been uh, you know all sorts of I remember I was uh, home where my parents were just watching TV and Phil uh, one of the Philadelphia news stations came on and you know had an article about the undiscovered Delaware beaches and mm. we were screaming at the TV no don't tell anybody <laughs> right. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That's great. So how, how long were we there for? Uh, I was, uh, well, in there as a lieutenant for, I think, about three years. And then, uh, again, I participated in another promotional process, got promoted to captain, and I stayed in the headquarters traffic section to switched over to be the director of it instead of the lieutenant as the assistant director. Yeah. Yeah. And you stay as captain about a, until a year. about a year when you're then promoted to major? No, I oh, don't. Okay. Uh, so I'm a captain. I want to skip ahead too no. soon. So I'm a captain in um, the headquarters traffic section yeah. for roughly a year, and then I get sent back to Troop 6, which is where I started my career as the troop commander there. Oh, interesting. Um, so I was there for 18 months, you know, managing all of the patrol functions there. What's and, that like to go after you, you, you left the local, you go to headquarters, you're looking statewide, and now 
you're going home where you started. Yeah, that was it boss. was it was nice. You know, I I wasn't quite at the end of my career, but I yeah. knew I was getting towards it. And um, yeah, no, it was, it was nice to return back there. And you know, nothing had changed, of course. And uh, <laughs> you know, but it, it some of the people, you know, the people that had worked there with me were gone, but many of them had been moved up and were you know lieutenants or sergeants now. Sure. So yeah, it was that was a really nice experience to go back there and and get back into operations at the place where you started. And then you're you know you're overseeing and mentoring these young entry troopers yes. at right where you started. Yes. Yep. Now that was a lot of fun. And I had a, you know, the, the lieutenants I worked with were, were close friends that I'd known for most of my career, which is the way things are, you know, by the time you've been sure. in a job that long, um, you know, people up and down uh, the state as well as at all ranks. And uh, yeah, it's, it's nice to be able to work with people that uh, you get along with and that move forward and do the job together. Okay. Yeah. So now you're back to your troop six. Yep. How long do you spend there? There for about 18 months. And then uh, I get moved down to internal affairs. So that was a complete departure wow. from my entire career up to there, um, to that point. And, you know, when I moved into internal affairs, I kind of, you know, I knew, you know, my, my time frame and how long people stay in there. And generally people stay in IA for about two years, sometimes a little bit longer. Um, so I was curious to see how my, you know, career kind of hashed out and that, you know, if I was, if I had, you know, four-ish years to go and uh, five years to go and if I was was going to be in internal affairs for two years, where would I end up? You know, I, I really wasn't sure, but um, there was, uh, you know, a retirement on the executive staff, so therefore there was someone who needed to be promoted to major. And with that, it's not really a promotional process. You know, you submit your resume and a letter of intent, um, interest in the job to the colonel, and they make the selection as to who the next major is going to mm -hmm. be, and I was fortunate enough to get the nod. So I only spent about five months in internal affairs oh, wow. and then became a member right of the staff. Yeah. That's, that's excellent. Um, and I imagine because it's Delaware, you don't have to move around. You know, there's some folks you talk to, they get promotions, you're on headquarters, you're in the field, and you're moving the family the whole time. Right. I imagine you were able to just stay no. in the same house and raise a family. Yes. Yeah, in fact, I mean, there's, you know, it, you can get from one end of our state, you know, to the other, you know, if, depending on the time of day, an hour and a half to two hours. Right. Um, you know, if you were all the way at the very tip of Delaware to the top north and had to go all the way down sure. south, you're looking maybe two hours and 15 minutes. But no, it's not that long. So, um, you know, there are people throughout my career that I've known who have gotten promoted and, you know, they might live in Newcastle County, but, you know, they're going down to Troop 4, 5, or 7 to yeah. work for a period of time because that's where the opening is and they're the, you know, right person for the job. And then, you know, when another position opens back up north, you yeah. know, they can come back up closer to home. But, yeah, there's no reason to move, not in Delaware. And you mentioned that, you know, uh, earlier on you mentioned you have two grown children that are now out of the house, but empty nesters and yes. bagpipes. Uh, <laughs> but all through this career story, you're telling us of intensive assignments and work you're you're still raising a family at the same time. Yes, I mean it, probably the most intensive assignment was you know the collision reconstruction unit in that you know you're on call for two weeks out of every month. Occasionally you know you get multiple fatals in a week, so even though you're not on call, you're going out to assist because the two people that are all mm -hmm. are on call are starting to get burned out. Um, but uh, you know all in all, looking back, I, I didn't miss that much, so I, I'm very fortunate in that regard. That's so, great. Yeah. That's great. Uh, what point in your career path do you first hear the word AMVA? Um, well, I guess when I was the lieutenant in traffic, because the then uh, Major Zebley, now Colonel Zebley, mm -hmm. um, had the role that I have now. And so, you know, in the, for the 
northern operations major position, headquarters traffic also falls under you. So a little back connection back to traffic there. So I'm in traffic section. I'm, I'm working for Major Zebley, and she's talking about going to these AMVA conferences, and we're talking about the things that, you know, come out of that. Um, but then, you know, when I went back to Troop 6, there was a little bit of separation there from AMVA because you're operational, you know, you're closer to the, to the mm -hmm. street. And then, of course, IA, there's really no connection to AMVA there. Right. But then when I got promoted to Major and was in um, what the slot that, that Major Zebley had, um, reconnected with AMVA. You know, yeah. I, I took her, she was on the law enforcement standing committee, had been chair of the committee. That's right. um, so I finished out her, when I got promoted, there was still a couple months left in her term on the committee. And, um, she got promoted to Lieutenant Colonel. So I finished out her term and then became a member, you know, served a two year term. And how, how has, I mean, this is the AMVA cast, so I have to right, ask you. Exactly. Know, how has, uh, your involvement with AMVA, how did that change, enhance, supplement, you know, the, the work you were doing. Well, now. I'll happily do an advertisement for AMBA because, <laughs> you know, I, I've been in, you know, when I got into the traffic section, Delaware State Police was represented on two or three committees um, within the state. And I would go to these things and people would say, hey, you know, we haven't seen a Delaware representative on this committee in years. You know, would you be willing to come to that? Sure. And before I knew it, you know, the list had grown to be very, very long, you know, and they didn't meet frequently. Some met monthly, some met quarterly, some only once a year. But but um, the list got very big. So I thought I was really dialed into the world of, you know, highway safety and things like that. But I was only dialed into the world of Delaware highway safety. So, yeah, when I got I started becoming involved with AMVA, um, sadly, you know, COVID kicked off right you know, as I got involved with AMVA. So it was all virtual. And it was, you could see the value in it, but it's just still, everyone kept on saying, you know, it's not really real until you start going to stuff in person. And they were right. You know, once I got to go to the first in-person uh, combined um, committee meeting, uh, standing committee yep. meetings, um, and, then, and then ultimately this and some other meetings in between, you know, you really get to see the breadth of what's out there, what AMVA does nationwide and internationally, um, you know, in the world of highway safety. So, yes, yeah, so I was opened up to um, things that I, I knew about, thought I knew about DMV, and then things beyond what mm -hmm. I knew about motor vehicle. And I knew there was interconnectivity, but I didn't really grasp all of it until I really yeah. started becoming involved with AMVA. Yeah. And it's a shame you've got this mandatory retirement just as you're getting your... I know. In. I know it is. You know, so I remember at the workshop in Law Institute, you did the talk about, you know, yes, we do that. That's you right. know, it was yep. a breakfast thing for an yep. hour and 15 minutes. And I thought, well, you know, I mean, I've been to a bunch of AMVA stuff. I think I know what they do, but you know what? Why not? I'll head down there. So I sat there and watched as you tried to cram into an hour and 15 minutes and you had to start glazing over stuff yep. and I don't know if you cut anything out but you were just at the end like a tobacco auctioneer just having to fire <laughs> through things because they do so much I yep. had no idea all of the IT and I mean I knew that you guys that AMVA managed you know in Invitis and, and other things right. of that nature nationwide but the data centers and all the tech and just all the stuff that AMVA does yeah. beyond what I saw from the committees is just impressive That's yeah right. yeah so um, you are reaching the end, retirements approach you as you start to look back. Um, when you think about your accomplishments and how you move the needle of traffic safety, what, you know, what will you take with you as those really, you know, pride points? Um, well, I'd say definitely one of the big pride points is this, the work that I did in the collision reconstruction unit. You know, it's, it's not, you know, great having to get out and go out to a wreck at two o'clock in the morning in horrible weather. It certainly isn't fun, you know, to deal with grieving families, but, you know, putting together those puzzle pieces and figuring out what happened in those wrecks um, is definitely rewarding. Um, although sometimes, you know, the families don't want to accept 
what happened to their loved one. But, um, you know, it's very important work. And then I think second to that would be just being involved with all of the committees that I was involved with when I was in the traffic section. I did get to take part in the formulation of a um, strategic highway safety plan for Delaware, as well as just mm-hmm. numerous other groups to address, you know, smaller aspects of that, you know, highway safety umbrella. Yeah. Yeah. And what are your thoughts on, you know, the state of traffic safety? You know, we all know the numbers are going in the wrong direction, uh, no yep. matter, you know, we have better tools, better planning, better countermeasures. Yeah, safer cars. Safer yeah. cars, uh, and yet better roads, right? Yeah. And yet I- this is the reality. I'm hoping it's transitory. I mean, we were really hitting some lows, you know, there in terms of statistics until COVID hit. Um, for all the reasons that you hear various people talk about, I think they're right. I think, you know, the the lockdown, the lack of people on the road, and you know, the people that were less risk averse go and hit the streets and head out and go do things. And since they're less risk averse, their driving behaviors are a little bit more risky. Um, and then the people that stayed home, you know, are possibly the safer drivers, they're less risk, risk, they're more risk averse rather. And so they decided to remain cautious and stay home. Um, But it's just sort of that perfect storm. You know, you've got um, COVID hitting. So therefore, you've got a dial back in enforcement, because you know, we're not sure what we've got there. People, police are having less contact with the public, they see less police out. And then you also have, you know, the other events of 2020 that then lead to a decrease in the number of people applying to the job, people, you know, retiring early. Um, so you then for have, therefore have less police on the street and to do that job and to do that safety work. So um, eventually things I think will reset, you know, it'll be a little bit less, less socially acceptable to drive like a maniac down the road, hopefully. Um, and you'll get, you know, the pendulum will swing in terms of number of police officers applying and then those numbers will get replenished. So all of those initiatives that we're having a hard time staffing now mm-hmm. will come back. Um, so that, that's my hope anyway, that we kind of get back to pre-2019 driving behaviors and statistics and we start to see those, those decreases yeah. again. Well, I think that positive outlook is a good, is a good place for us to, to wrap up on. As uh, you close one chapter, hopefully that will be the door to the, to the next chapter. Sounds good. Yeah. Thanks for joining us today and sharing your story. Congratulations again on this very well-deserved recognition. Thank you very much, Ian. It was a lot of fun. Thank you all for listening this week. Thanks to our producers, Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Till next week, everyone, stay well. Thank you for joining us for AmbaCast. Hosted by Ian Grossman. Produced by Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Music by Gibson Arthur. This episode was brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America. Visit us at amvacast.podbean.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.